You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. You're listening to Baltimoreans. The home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Lots of news this week. Lots of lots of baseball-related activity. No baseball is going to get played anytime soon. Yes, emphasis um, but, on the related side of that hyphen. <laughs> related activity. Let's look back in the past for our for all of our baseball needs. Um, How far back in the past, Smith? Would you say approximately eighty-five years? Let's go eighty-five years back on this day. Orioles great Don Buford was born, and I think he's still alive. Right? He's eighty-five years young today. I believe that is accurate. Let's do a momentary fact check to you um yeah don buford is it was born today as we record here uh february 3rd year of our lord 2022 buford not only orioles legend but the first bay Sox manager in the uh bay Sox history uh well we have a slight a, a slight fact fact check it turns out he was actually born yesterday um what but oh. you know Dead Nobody's <laughs> in the long arc of history. Nobody is going to uh, substantially differentiate. <laughs> Happy belated birthday to you. What matters is, is he still alive? That's what I care about. Stole an even 200 bases, Alan Smith. Not hit, bad, hit 200 man. and he was like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, that's a good round number. Let's go out after 200 bases. I love it. A lifetime on it. base percentage of 362. Yeah. 1,203 career hits. Not bad, man. Not bad. In his penultimate season, at the age of 34, he batted 290 and reached base 41% of the time, adding 19 Dude, that's, hits and that's 54 RBIs we, along the way. That's probably before we even like kept track of that. <laughs> it's certainly we all over there like like getting on base and no one was even giving him credit because he wasn't i don't know whatever else they cared about back in the dark ages it, it's certainly before you could get a you know nine-year 300 million dollar contract for having a high on base percentage i will say this i find that it is very on baltimore's brand to be recording this the day after don buford's birthday <laughs> that's a good fact that's a very baltimore's fact Today yes. is the day after someone who we care about was born. I think it's it's accurate to say that in the Baltimoreans universe, today is Don Buford's birthday. <laughs> that, is, that is accurate. Um, what else do we have to tell you about? It doesn't look like we're going to be playing any baseball anytime soon here, Sam. Yes, which is Discuss. A, which is a damn shame because you know if we're going to talk about the past, Alan, we should talk about the future. And all right, all right. Earlier this week. No less of a luminary than Keith Law, who, by the way, I don't really know who crowned him King Prospect. But anyway, uh, his honor. I'm sure he worked hard. His liege, his highness, Keith Law, named Adley Rutschman the number one prospect, not just in the Orioles organization, but in all of baseball, Alan Smith. Number oh. one. When was the last time we had a number one prospect, Sam? Well, um, I think it was Manny. I I don't even know if Manny was was he never, that close he never, to the he top. never made number one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it may have been Dylan Bundy, so that doesn't bode well. It may have been Dylan Bundy. <laughs> yeah, 
It might have been Matt Wieters. Matt Wieters might have held that position for a second. I don't want to talk about Matt Wieters because <laughs> I'm real worried that Adley Rutschman is Matt Wieters 2. <laughs> Electric <Wieters> 2.0. <laughs> um, but but this, is, this is the thing about Adley Rutschman that is making me very, very sad is Adley Rutschman is 24, which for a catcher is like a, for a human being 70. Right. That's and, true. And we are not, you know, it's generally considered that a player's peak is what, between the ages of 25 and 32? Um, he's not even, he's not even on our, our best prospect is not even on our timeline. Exactly. Exactly. We <laughs> not are even, not even the guys who are currently playing for us, but our best prospect is, is probably trade bait. Yeah, we are, we are more than Adley Rutschman's window of prime away from contention. Now, I will say this uh, to the question of, of prospects and prospect watching. Um, I mean, I, I, would, I would love it if Adley's promotion to the big leagues corresponded with like a little bit of Orioles relevance. And maybe he is the, maybe he will be the grizzled veteran um, leading the squad by the time we actually are relevant again, maybe he can play a lot of first base and DH some, save, save those knees. But did you see this? Um, because of obviously we're not going to get into spring training anytime soon, but the Orioles are running these um, like non-mandatory mini camps, as I assume most teams are. Did you see the, the, the list of characters who are attending the Orioles non-mandatory training camp? Tell me, tell me who I who I should be excited about. Apparently, you should be excited about Adley. So check. Okay. Then these are the following real people who are apparently in the Orioles Says organization: you. <laughs> Gunnar Henderson, Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, Kyle Stowers, Heston Kirchstad, Patrick Dorian, Robert Neustrom, and Cesar Pareto. Now. God's honest truth, Sam. I had not heard of any of those people at all before <laughs> knowing that they had reported to a mini camp. I had no idea who any of people are after Adley. I, w- I will admit I had heard some of those names before, although who's Colston, Captain Crunch? What's his name? Uh, Colston Kowser? Colston Kowser sounds like... S-E-R. That that sounds like a name from the Baltimoreans nickname episode, and I think it does. I think everybody knows that that's what that actually is. <laughs> well, I, I I you know when I was thinking about reading you this 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 list of names, I was gonna I, I was gonna add two imaginary people and see if you could pick them out. I didn't. <laughs> Those are all real names. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope that they're all elsewhere on Keith Law's list. I don't think they are. Um, <laughs> His, how, deep, how deep does Keith Law's list go? Does he list the top 1,500 prospects? Not he deep enough. In order? Although it, it is worth noting, we've mentioned this on some of our, our recent broadcasts, that the, the rankings of the Orioles farm system do seem to be trending in a very positive direction. In that sense, the Michael Elias plan is working. It's working. It's working. <laughs> um. The thing is, like, it it seems like it, it's just so hard to get excited about any of it, even if we're ranked, I think we have, like, the fifth best or third best farm system at last um, consensus ranking. But we have done such an astonishingly bad job of developing these prospects over the last few years. I can't even find it in my heart to get excited. Because if you look at, if you look at um, 
Adley's profile, he profiles as a catcher with some pop who is really good at calling pitches. That seems to be the consensus. And he last year in double A AA and triple A hit like, you know, 290, I think, hit like 23 home runs. So if you assume he's going to regress a little bit when he gets to the major leagues, those are Weeders' numbers that we're starting to look at. And Weeders was also thought mm-hmm. of as like good with the pitchers. And I mean, I guess we should also note that if Matt Weeders was an Oriole from 2009 to 2016 or whatever it was, that was our last run of relevance. Matt Weeders, I'm not mad at Matt Weeders' career. It, it, it's just if you look at him as like a franchise saver, he didn't quite get there. Yeah. And I, he, enjoyed, I enjoyed rooting for Matt Weeders. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed uh, hoping that he would one day live up to his potential. <laughs> um, but I guess the other thing we should say is that Manny Machado, I think by most accounts, has turned into like 30 or 40% better of an offensive player than anybody thought that he would be. But he also came up when he was 19 <laughs> or 20. So he had more time to adjust to major league pitching before and played a less demanding position before his body started to break down. So I don't know. I Like, I want to be more excited, but I, I've just lost any capacity for enthusiasm about our our ability to to bring up one of these game-changing people who redefines a franchise. So here's a great statistic for you. Overall, 61% of all All-Stars, people who made the All-Star game, from 2009 to 2018, were at some point top 100 prospects. 61%? Yes. Hmm. So it does... Matt Law is not totally uh, Keith Law. Sorry, Matt Law is a soccer journalist who I hate. Keith Law <laughs> is not totally making it up. Yep, yep. No, and I mean, <laughs> I, it's just interesting to me that he is so universally considered. Um, and, and you know, like he'll write the these guy. rankings, and he'll be like, "Looks real rangy in the outfield. Uh, really sets his jaw when he like steps into the box." And I'm like, "Did you go to like every minor league game <laughs> at the same time? How do you know all this?" <laughs> Yes, Keith Law is actually an artificial intelligence. Uh, it's a creation <laughs> of 500 different robots who are scanning constantly the internet for video footage of all these players. I mean, I want him to be right. I want him to be right. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm given to believe we should also be excited about Grayson Rodriguez, who's a pitcher. I mean, th- the flip side of all this is that if Adley does come up and Captain Crunch and these other jabronis uh, <laughs> make it to the big leagues and you know, all of a sudden the balance shifts a little bit from one or two, you know, one Cedric Mullins and a Trey Mancini and a Partridge and a Pear Tree um, to five or six guys who have game momentum altering skill sets. And then we make a couple of trades. All of a sudden we're back to competitiveness in maybe a year and a half. And then it becomes a question of whether the new front office is going to be willing to make smarter deals than Dan Duquette did. Um, Although I did see recently, not that, I guess this was a Andy McPhail trade, but there is like a small drumbeat on the internet of people who think J.J. Hardy should be in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) 
your your reaction tells me your feelings about that, Alan Smith. I, I mean, look, uh, I, I was going to say they're letting anybody into the Hall of Fame these days. Apparently, that's not the case. Uh, sorry, Barry. Sorry, Roger. Um, <laughs> but uh, J.J. Hardy, lovely guy. Loved the chant. Loved the fans' appreciation of J.J., uh, you know, I, I, I liked his announcing, you know, when, when he came into the box, I liked, I liked watching him play. He was not a hall of famer. I, I, I do think, uh, it would be a stretch to put, um, JJ Hardy in the hall of fame. I'm just going to do a quick, you gotta have a moment, man. You gotta have a moment. You have a moment when you are one of the best players in baseball and you have to have a moment. This is again, Alan Smith credentials here, but you have to have a moment that matters at some point, you have to have uh, a streak or a playoff a series that you won for your team or a big, big game of import as you came down to the pennant. J.J. Hardy, I mean, did he ever bat above fifth in the lineup? Well, we did have him batting leadoff <laughs> for a time in one of Buck Showalter's oh, many right. <laughs> mad scientist experiments. Um, Which I think... Everyone, including J.J. Hardy, would have qualified as a failure. <laughs> you can just imagine him walking into Buck's office before those games and being like, Buck, listen, my ego is fine. You don't have to do this. <laughs> um, this is the Ed thing, though, games. Smith, I think. Like when we talk about the Hall of Fame, whether it, we're talking about J.J. Hardy or Barry Bonds, I do think we're at this kind of interesting moment where it's like the last gasp of sort of old school Hall of Fame thinking. Because I agree with you. You do, in my mind, to be a Hall of Famer, you just kind of have to feel like a Hall of Famer. And I'm on record as saying, as much as I loved Mike Mussina, he doesn't feel like a Hall of Famer to me. Because he Mm. never had that one totally dominant season. He never won a Cy Young. He never was seen as like... His name was never on the tip of everybody's tongue as the best guy in the game in the way that Roy Halladay... And Max Scherzer, both of whom in some ways have inferior counting stats to him, or even CC Sabathia, who wasn't even as good a pitcher, those guys feel more like Hall of Famers to me, which is weird and stupid, but it's real. <laughs> um, yeah. And we, as fans of a certain age, I think, and this is true of the baseball writers who get to put in these votes, there's this last little cohort of us that I think are our late 30s, early 40s generation. Um, by which I mean aged late 30s or 40s, not born in those decades. Um, <laughs> We're not Don Buford old, okay? <laughs> I don't know about you, Alan Smith, but I was at the Battle of the Bulge. Um, <laughs> it's called I Used to Drink More Beer Than I Do. Um, but, like, w- there's this attachment to a sort of more um, vibe-based <laughs> interpretation of a player's legacy and certain types of counting stats um, that, you know, Bonds and Schilling and Clemens and those guys, that's kind of the end of that wave. Um, mm. that, like there's not a lot of people behind those guys with the same formerly unimpeachable numbers that you would think would get them in. And we're going to be looking more at the careers of your, I mean, I guess Miguel Cabrera will be the next guy who has can't can't miss stats, but for some people, I think because he's been so, uh, him and Pujols, I guess Pujols is unimpeachable. But I feel yeah. like there are 
people who are going to be a little whiny about Miguel Cabrera because he has f- so completely folded the last few years. That's interesting. But, but, but he, I mean, by right. So, so you're saying like, like people will look at his resume and see three years of low production at the end, five years of low production at the end and say, that's not a hall of fame resume and ignore the fact that there were two years when you would do anything possible to not face Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. And I would argue I mean, they were like years, maybe even years of, 10. He was, yeah. he was, he was one of the best hitters of the modern era. And yet, and terrifying, like, yeah, like had that like Barry Bonsian, uh, you knew where he was coming up in the order three, three, <laughs> three people away. Like, let's start pitching around him now. Yeah. And I think the thing that was even more scary about him is you were afraid of his power, but he was, he, his hands were so fast that if he knew you were just going to pitch him away to try to avoid him taking you deep and, you know, driving in three runs, he would just flick it to the opposite field and be and comfortable like <laughs> driving in two and letting the next guy take care of business. And yeah. there there are so few hitters that do that anymore that like, you know, they used to call it professional hitting. And now the emphasis is so much more on either utter five-tool dominance a la Mike Trout or um, Shohei Otani or intense intense skill at a specialized subset of Mm -hmm. abilities. Um, And Miguel Cabrera just, he doesn't really fit either of those molds very well. And by the time his candidacy comes along, we'll be so much more in that Mm. mode of thought about what makes a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he won't get in. He'll definitely get in. But the conversation around it is going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, Do we need to rehash the, uh, the, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens thing. Well, we're both on record at that. That. What do you think? I mean, were you surprised? I I thought Barry Bonds was going to get in this time, um, mm. and and that may be just because I had let myself get a little bit too obsessed with tracking that live spreadsheet that we talked about at one point, where yeah. there was the guy who was keeping a tabulation of every ballot that had been made publicly available and. Barry Bonds was trending at something like 80%. Um, and that oh, wow. seemed like it was enough above the threshold. And he was trending at roughly the same percentage as David Ortiz. And Ortiz got in. And yeah, I think everybody knew Ortiz was going to get in. Right. And so I, I thought, you know, Clemens is maybe more of a bubble case just because he had similarly monstrous statistics. But there's only one Barry Bonds. There's only one Barry Bonds. Um, I don't really know. I I think I still, I still feel like Barry Bonds shouldn't be in. Um, Mm. And I still feel like Clemens shouldn't be in. And you feel like David Ortiz should be in. I mean, your boy, your boy's name was on some lists. (laughs) He was on some lists, but here's my thing. Not to, sympathize with Rob Manfred right now, because that's a distinctly um, young Republican move. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Manfred is on record saying, you know, it's not really fair to hold the alleged positive test of David Ortiz against him because it w- those results weren't necessarily super reliable. It's never been publicly confirmed that his name was on that list. And I don't know. Th- there's some technicalities there that to me make it seem like yeah. 
you know, I, we've got to draw the line somewhere and there's sure. not the flagrancy with Ortiz that there is with the other guys. Um, the thing to me, I guess, is like, if you're going to let Bonds in, you have to let Palmero in, you have to let Sosa in. It, it opens the door too wide. And uh-huh. I do feel like, I mean, you know, it's the old thing. Like Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he ever stuck a needle in his arm. Clemens was a Hall of Famer before he ever, right? Before, before he ever stuck a needle in his arm or in his butt or wherever he was putting it. Um, <laughs> wherever that needle was going. Yeah, and that's not the same thing as Ryan Braun. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And Ryan Braun should not be in the Hall of Fame, and by that logic, neither should these other guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I guess I just feel like the Hall of Fame is more about tracking history than it is about, um, you know, that th- those those were unimpeachably the names of 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 a, of a decade or two of baseball, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just in the same way that like a generation of people came to watching baseball because of the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Schmazel, mm-hmm. uh, and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were hitting home runs off of. Roger Clemens and a bunch of other juicers. <laughs> so the, the, the playing field was at least level slightly because everybody was doing it. So uh, you, you're saying you think they should get in. Yeah. I think they should get in. I'm, oh. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I think the, the value of the baseball hall of fame, if there is any value and I don't not totally sure that there is, but let's just say for a sake of argument that there is value in the hall of fame it is as a uh, like historical moment and as a comparison to the past. And hmm. you can compare Barry Bonds to the past. You just have to do it with a big asterisk. <laughs> well, okay. So that's interesting. And it makes me think of a parallel that it relates to something else we wanted to talk about, um, which is, okay, so the Washington football team this week announced that they have changed their name to the Washington Commanders. Um, Oh, I'm excited to see how you land this plane. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) I'm not claiming that I will. (laughs) It's either going to crash or um, it's it's actually a hot air balloon with a drunken fiddler driving. But uh, do you drive hot air balloons? I'm getting off track. Um, So uh, this, this is what I'm thinking. Sail. Sale. Okay. You look at the Cleveland Guardians. You look at the Washington Commanders. These are teams that had racist names, racist mascots, that have decided that it is important to correct the historical record and change their names to be more in line with modern times. So if you look at the game now, if you look at Major League Baseball now, there is no Cleveland Indians team. Uh, if you look at the NFL now, there is no Washington Redskins team. Huh. But there was. And yeah. by erasing, uh, but not erasing, by changing the name, um, you're demarcating eras of history. I support unequivocally the idea that those teams should change their names over to you, Kansas City and Atlanta, get with the program. Right. But I also think in the same vein, 
it makes sense if you look at the Hall of Fame for there to be a gap where you're like, wait, why don't I see Barry Bonds' name here? Why don't I see Roger Clemens' name here? These were the greatest mm. names of the generation. To me, their absence is the historical record mm. in the same way that the the absence of these racist marks and racist names is part of the historical legacy of the sports at large. Oh, I guess I guess I did just sort of make a um, Confederate war monuments argument, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the young Republican now, Smith? <laughs> Zut alors. <laughs> uh, ah, good. No young Republican would ever curse in French. <laughs> Uh, interesting. Uh, no, I, I think I buy that. Right. Like, like, it's not like we're not going to, it's not like history will erase them because they're not in the hall of fame. They'll still be, they'll still be remembered. They'll still be talked about. They'll still be et cetera, et cetera, but they don't get to be on that particular hallowed ground and they don't right. get to be commemorated in the same way. I buy that. And the dumb thing, the dumb thing about all of this is they probably both will get in because we have these, um, ridiculous latter day voting systems now where you can get in the way Harold Baines did or the way Andre Dawson did uh, like the veterans committee or like, you know, I I forget the name of it, but there are ways of getting voted it, like getting in through the side door basically um, that make me feel like, I mean, just to be completely circular in logic in a way that argues for an asterisk wing of the kind you're describing where If we're going to say that somebody should be in the Hall of Fame, but they weren't good enough to be voted in by the official measures, what is what are we even doing? And if we're going to demarcate careers in different ways, we should have, you know, a platinum wing and a gold wing and a silver wing and a bronze wing. um, Just let just let Keith Law work it all out, man. (laughs) Just give me just give me a definitive one through 15,000. (laughs) <laughs> um, top baseball players of all time. I wanted, I wanted there to be, you know, Bill Simmons does this in his book of basketball. He just like straight up ranks every basketball player. I think he goes like 300 deep and every year he like updates the rankings because this guy, you know, proved more in his career and this historical character got bumped down and all that stuff. Let's just let one dude, let's let Keith sort it out. I'm fine <laughs> with that. Um, how do you feel about how do you feel about the uh, the the hometown team now being the Commanders? I think it's great. I think it's great. I know a lot of people wished that they had picked a different name, and you know, I, it doesn't seem like there was ever any danger of Daniel Snyder doing anything the fans really wanted him to do, other than very <laughs> belatedly agreeing to change the fucking name in the first place, and only after intense <laughs> legal pressure. Um, but you know, I, that will all fade and. I think the Commanders is a cool name. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it, it feels right for football. It's domineering and aggro and jacked up on testosterone. And ah, But also it can be shortened to the commies. <laughs> and the colors of the team are red and gold. Oh, man, you know, that's great. What they say, better uh, red than dead. <laughs> Um, that's, I love it. I love it, Abe, because I think that he's accidentally just opened himself up to a series of like, um, you know, uh, fight, fight for the inner light, kill Quakers, kill kind of chance. I'm calling them commies forever. 
<laughs> I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't, this didn't occur to me until you just revealed it, but I'm definitely calling them the commies forever. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think that the, like, I, I think that the, like the entire thing kind of works. Like the imagery that I've already seen for them kind of harkens back to me to like war, like cold war propaganda <laughs> stuff. Like, I, I'm sure no one intended this, but I kind of, it kind of, it kind of all fits for me. Yeah. Um. Well, so here's my question: um, If they're gonna be, how much, how much pressure do you think this ends up putting on Kansas City and Atlanta to get with the program? Because at this point you've had one really high, pro- like the, the Washington was a really high profile case to the point that, you know, there was a whole arc on unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt about it. <laughs> um, Cleveland, I think was able to hide in the shadow of that conversation for a while, but they eventually did the right thing. The chiefs and the Braves are arguably two way more high profile teams. The Braves having just won the world series and the Chiefs being like a continuously very successful football team. Um, what are you seeing? I mean, is there is this increasing the the pressure on them to to do the right thing? I think it does in some ways come back to like how bad an owner Dan Snyder was hmm. is. Like I think that um if if you look at the litany of sins that you can lay at Dan Snyder's face. Uh, feet the name of his team is actually like not even top five <laughs> uh there's like legit sex trafficking you know pimping out cheerleaders there's yeah. like horrible workplace all- allegations of you know ter- terrible work culture and sexism and misogyny and like the dude is bad and it feels to me like he did this to distract us from all of that. Like he gave right. us, he threw us a bone on the Redskins thing. And thanks Dan. Uh, and, and I think that he looked at sort of like polling and etc., and decided that this was the high opportunity upside move. Yeah. And nothing else. And I don't think he did it out of any kind of, you know, goodness of his heart. And so it's hard for me unless um, the owners of the Atlanta Braves or the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs find themselves in some other public relations schmozzle. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily coming. But but uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't heard a lot of pressure about it. Mm-hmm. Like it, the people were drawing the line three years ago, saying, "Well, Redskins is a slur." Mm-hmm. Like that is categorically different and worse. And therefore we need to put pressure on Washington, which then somewhat obliviates the like secondary argument, which is you guys should also change yours too, because at least Braves also has a positive connotation, right? (laughs) At least chiefs also is a leadership position, (laughs) you know, like, right. There's something there you can cling to that while I don't, you know, I I don't actually plan or intend to defend. Um, I would say that there there are probably gradients and 
Redskins was probably worse. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So so far on the on the show today, we have taken a stand for. We've really <laughs> been all over the map statues. ideologically. <laughs> We're like, there's no gray areas when it comes to the Hall of Fame, but there are gray areas when it comes to racist team names. And you know, Confederate War monuments. Apparently, I'm pro those. Yeah, As a proud as a proud son of the South. Well, uh, there is more football news, if I'm not mistaken, Smith. You uh, identified a, a troubling valuation coming to us out of yeah, Denver. You know, we, have a, we have an interesting coda to last week's conversation about terrible sports owners. Um, or maybe not, it's, maybe not terrible sports owners. Maybe that's the wrong intro. Maybe it's just about the valuation of sports teams and how, um, you know, generally ass-backwards that has become because sports teams are this, especially in, in, in the U.S. when there are franchises and you can only have so many of them, they're a quantity that, 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 that you, you can gamble with. They're, they're a speculative, right. <laughs> speculative process. Um, and we're just seeing you know, another team, in this case the Denver Broncos, who have not been particularly good for the past uh, decade and a half, have not been... Um, league leading don't have a particular like outside of Colorado they don't have a big national following they're not like the Cowboys or the um the other other sports organizations and they're about to be sold for estimates of at least 4 billion of your american dollars um my goodness i don't necessarily know i don't know much about pat bolin who was the the, the man who owned the broncos since 1984 um, I don't know where he ranks on our terrible owners scale. Uh, I don't think because I had never heard his name before. I don't think he's a Dan Snyder um, <laughs> who who would score straight ones on all of our scoring apparatuses. Um, but he did buy the team in 1984 for 78 million dollars, which would account if you account for inflation is about 209 million dollars now. Um, Whoa, so 209 million dollars now. It, or or seventy eight million dollars has a purchasing power in twenty twenty two of two hundred and nine million, which you compare to four billion dollars, is quite an evaluation change. I'll um, I'll take either I'll lot. take either of those initial valuations on a four billion dollar payout. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, so, you know, you can't take it with you. Pat Bolin died, and now the team's going to get sold. But um, the like. It, it it is it is fascinating to me that we don't seem to be anywhere close to a ceiling on what sports teams are worth. Yeah. Um, like in in this age of wildly increasing inequality, where there is a new billionaire being minted every day, and uh, everybody else is falling further and further behind, we do have a world where the one thing we're sure we're creating in this economy is people with the wherewithal to buy up a sports franchise. Yeah. Like we're definitely pumping out a market for NFL teams and luxury yachts. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing that came to mind for me when you were, we were talking about this before we started recording and you said, how much of that 4 billion do you think the players who created that value will get? Um, and obviously the answer is Sweat zero. equity, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, which is particularly tragic in the NFL where- I know, I, I wouldn't say zero. I mean, the 
players did get salaries from 1984 to 2022. I would just bet that if you added up the entire Denver Broncos salary uh, for that entire window and, you know, took every single player and checked their salaries against, um, well, first of all, box office ticket sales and jersey sales, and then against that valuation of the team. I bet you, I bet you that over that period of time, as its value was increasing, it was also in the black the entire time. Yeah. So Pat Bowen was making money during that entire window um, and also creating just an absolutely wild equity investment. Like $2.9 million, uh, sorry, $78 million to um, $4 billion. Like that's Bitcoin money before the Bitcoin crash. Right. Right. Like, that's what that is. Like that is, that is a wild, like you're doing great. If you're getting a 10% return on investment per year, right? Like you're killing the market. If you're getting 10%, that's so much money. Yeah. What a, what a, what a crazy investment. The thing it made me think about that I had never thought about until you brought this up is I think it definitively settled for me why I should never be mad at my favorite professional athletes for taking endorsement deals while they're under contract with a team because the team is raking in revenue and that drives up these valuations and the players are never going to participate in reap the benefits of that by and large. I mean, some of them will sign these good donk free agent contracts, but most of the guys on the teams, well, you know, they're not going to starve, but the astronomical wealth that the franchise is generating, they mostly proportionally, they will barely participate in. And so from that standpoint, the fact that they all have these side hustles where they're, you know, running athletics training programs or advertising golf balls or whatever it is, you know, being videotaped uh, or like, uh, what's his name? Steph I mean, Curry and the, being the new subway pitch man. Um, to your, to your point about, about, um, they're not going to starve. Uh, according to a 2009 sports Illustrated article, 35% of national football league players are either bankrupt or under significant financial stress within two years of retirement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it doesn't even necessarily play that they. I mean, I, we we we're not going to have time uh, to unpack all of the like. This is what happens when <laughs> young testosterone filled men are given millions of dollars and they don't have any financial planning advice and no one's in their corner and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, uh, estimated you know seventy eight percent of NFL players run into money problems at some point in their lives. Yeah. So you know. Get that money, man. <laughs> Get as much as you can right. when you have the when you have the like ability to go on local TV, hold a can of dog food, and wear the you know New England Patriots jersey. That value that is is conducted to you because you're wearing that jersey in that moment. Cash in on that. <laughs> cash in on that as much as you can. Especially in a case like the NFL, where you're also doing severe long term damage to your body that is going to result in healthcare costs that are probably impossible to predict. Now, I guess before we end, Smith, we should pause to, and since we've been talking about the question of greatness and what defines it and have been talking 
proportionally probably more about football than baseball in this episode. Um, <laughs> well, there's no baseball being played, Sam. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Maybe ever again. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do we make of the the retirement of Tom Brady? Uh, I mean, he's he's the he is the very best at a thing. Like he's 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 um, it's cool to see like greatness like that. I I think. Uh, I think like I am, you know, that he is, he is like, there's this amazing football article. Um, and by that, by that, I mean like a true football article, like actually the world sport soccer, uh, about Lionel Messi's career mm-hmm. and it's titled Lionel Messi is magic. Mm-hmm. And I would urge everyone to plug in like to Google that phrase Lionel Messi is magic and find this article and read it because it's like a statistical breakdown. And it's like a couple of years old, old now about Messi and just like how much of an outlier he is statistically, like how, how like he scores from outside the box at the same percentage that like the elite other soccer players score from inside the box. <laughs> and he scores from inside the box, the same rate at the, like the elite strikers scored in the six yard box. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's who Tom Brady is. He, he he's statistically like so in terms of winning percentages and playoffs and Super Bowl rings and all of the things that we choose to hold up as like good at soccer, uh, good at a sport. He's so far away from everybody else that it's like he's he's obliterated all the debates. Yeah. It was always like Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. Nah, man. <laughs> yeah. She got nothing. You right. got nothing when you when you when you change teams and you're 40 three or whatever the fuck he was and you go on and you win another Super Bowl, like that's ridiculous. Yeah. And he was the best that's quarterback ridiculous. in the league this season, right? Uh, yeah, by by some by some measures. And he's choosing to walk away. He's 44 and he didn't ever even have the embarrassing retirement season. Yeah. Like how crazy is that? He played football, a game that we were just talking about how it burns people out in two years for 22 years. Yeah. Granted, granted, he's at the one position where you don't get hit a lot, but he got hit. Like, yeah, he got damaged. It's it, it it is it is really remarkable. He must be the most boring human being. It is possible to be. I I sincerely worry about his mental health mm-hmm. uh, for what he's going to do now because it sounds like that dude spent three hundred and eighty days a year prepping to play football, right. like physically, mentally, spiritually, etc. Like. I do not know what he's going to do right now. I fear for, you know, like the the depressed version of Tom Brady that doesn't have any competitive thing to go do because he seems like a crazy machine. But damn, he was good at that one thing. Yeah. So here's my question. You know, it seems like unquestionable that like Tom Brady is in the firmament. He's in the Michael Jordan, yep. Lionel Messi, Babe Ruth Barry Bonds, yep. if Barry Bonds' career wasn't tainted, he's, he's... Although, I you will you will now hear football fans saying Tom Brady's career is tainted because of a set of things. I don't think it's true, but carry yeah, on. Yeah, but he's on, you know, the... Yeah, he's Amer- on Goat Mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, if we look at any of the major pro sports, is the next person like that already on the field somewhere are we already witnessing the birth of that legend or have they not yet stepped between the lines um 
I'd be interested to know what the Baltimoreans think on Twitter at bmorons. But you know, like if we look at baseball, you know, at this point, Mike Trout, he might be the greatest player in a generation, but he's not Tom Brady. And no. I mean, maybe I mean, just because of rings. Yeah, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Hmm? Has he ever played in the playoffs, Mike Trout? Once. Uh, okay, um, carry on. <laughs> but the same, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, we're talking about, you know, the most elite. I think, I think that's really tricky because I don't think, I mean, I think that, so in the NFL, it's going to have to be a quarterback, mm-hmm. not just because of longevity. And it's really hard to do anything other than be a quarterback in the NFL for more than four years at a high level without yeah. everything breaking. Um, but also because only a quarterback really controls the game enough to like have some statistical outcome in whether or not you win. Like Mike Trout is very good at baseball, does not seem to be able to affect whether or not the Angels are very good at baseball. Right. Baseball is really hard for a single player to dominate. Yeah. Basketball, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. Not only are you one of five, but like the game is sort of predisposed for stars, a la Steph Curry, a la whatever, to mm-hmm. be to be up there. Um, you know, I think I think that there's a there's a actually sort of interesting debate between Jordan and LeBron James. So Le- Jordan's uh, highs are higher. LeBron James is actually pulling a Tom Brady. Right. He's yeah. been playing forever mm-hmm. and he's still really good. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't have a, he he we're we're at, it's actually kind of amazing that we're witnessing like not not that amazing. Sports science has advanced a lot. That's the answer. But LeBron James is 37. Like he has played so many more basketball minutes than anybody else mm-hmm. and has not like not not that he has played the most minutes, but that like there has been no like dip. Right, right. He's never he's never Crazy. been a liability. Yeah. yeah. Um and even as Messi begin like Messi's Messi is beginning the slide. He's beginning age is starting to catch up with him. Um, so we'll see whether or not he can keep reinventing himself to be some other new kind of player. Um yeah. but I think that those are the only sports where it could happen. Well, I think the real question, Smith, is what do you call Tom Brady when he grows out his sideburns, styles them to be very sharp and pointy, and then improbably hits 50 home runs in a major league season? I don't have it. What what is it? You would call him Tom Brady Anderson. Oh, of course you would. (laughs) And that, I'm afraid, is all the time we have. Uh, because I don't want to know what anybody thinks of that joke. <laughs> but uh, uh, at Morons, tell us who you think is the person playing right now. The answer would have been Patrick Mahomes, but not looking great in the last two playoff runs. Womp, 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 womp. Get um, at us. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll see you again soon. Baltimoreans. Baltimoreans.